So today we're talking to Ratka Tohnalova. She owns, uh, she's the CEO and founder of, of um, a company called Atairu, Atairu.com, which is a leadership development company that focuses on adaptivity and authenticity or, or yeah, being authentic and adaptive. And she's helping future leaders and yeah, current leaders to get future ready. Um, and um, she has quite an interesting story. Uh, born before communism in the Czech Republic, went to the US, to Arizona, went to school in the UK. Came from a regular family, uh, educated but not rich. Um, always wanted to go and, and study something, become something. So was very kind of focused on, on yeah, creating something, something that had a purpose. And uh, she worked for the United Nations in Rome uh, on the World Food Program that has 17,000 people, the World Food Program, crazy number. And uh, then went to McKinsey, the famous uh, consultancy firm, um, and uh, where she learned a lot, and then went to take an MBA degree in, in Harvard in the US. Um, she's the first, uh, I think she's the first breastfeeding student that they had, so they, they gave her a, a, a place, a nursery. She had a two-month-old kid when she started there. And then she had another one in the in year two, so she had two kids with her in, in Harvard, and that was quite unusual. Um, and then she came back and, and um, she started her company, Atairu. Um, and we discussed a little bit what are kind of the hot topics now. There's a lot of social topics like, you know, climate change, uh, diversity and, and different things, and how COVID has affected businesses and management and management styles and, and, and what are the key metrics that companies look at right now and the challenges that they have, which is basically, at least here in the Czech Republic, um, you know, shortage of staff, supply chains, and a lot of, yeah, a lot of things that mean that companies have to try to create and do more with less. Um, and, uh, yeah, we talked about how, how, how it is to be a mom and, and how it is to be a woman in business here and, and, and a lot of, lot of different things. So, I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, the sponsors, that's uh, the Old Bar, uh, the Old Bar Prague, that is on Cypher 21 in Shishkov, uh, close to the main train station. So if you're passing through or a tourist, then it's perfectly on the way when you check out of your hotel or Airbnb to go to the Old Bar and have your last meal in Prague. Um, perfect old meals and skiers with different toppings, healthy ingredients, everything that is possible to make in-house is made in-house and no nasty stuff. And organic skier from a local farm about an hour outside of Prague, a recipe only available in the old bar. Check that out also, yeah, for takeaway or to sit in quickly or delivery on Walt and Bolt. And then uh, Alfred, Alfred.cz, Alfred Jobs in the App Store, jobs all over the Czech Republic and Slovakia, available in English, Czech and Slovak language and Russian, I think, as well. And uh, yeah, thousands of jobs in different categories. You basically go in, you set up your profile, and you say, this is the type of job that I'm interested in. And from that moment, that's the only thing you see. So uh, check that out, guys. And um, easy to find the job without spending too much time looking for it. And apply with one click. You never have to fill in a form again and again and again, like it's these boring career pages. And then, yeah, if you, are, uh, if you have some cool people, then send me an email uh, or a message on Facebook or something. If there are some cool people that you think I should talk to, please leave a review and yeah, share the love. Thank you.
Hello, Radka Tohnaloa. How are you? Perfect. Did I say your name right? Tohnaloa. Yes. yes, you did. Is it common here in like to have an H like Tohnaloa? Is it, it's a, I haven't seen a name like this before. It's a Czech name though. Yeah, it is. And I think it's pretty common with the, given the type of it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I found you, uh, I think, in the news some months ago. And uh, uh, I put you on my list. And then I reached out to you and, and, and uh, your people at Atairu. That's your company. Mm-hmm. You're the founder and CEO of Atairu. Yes. And uh, I, rem- I don't remember exactly, but you... I read something really clever that came from you. I mean, mo- all of the stuff that I've read so far has been clever, but th- this was some, something that caught my attention, and that, uh, here we are. Um, I can be very inappropriate. Um, uh, what do you do? So anyhow, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. I, I, I actually was not sure, uh, just to be clear for the listeners, whether we are officially starting or yeah, not. We, yeah, so. we are, yeah, we are recording now. <laughs> So, uh, so anyhow, thank you for inviting me, and um, happy to hear, um, happy to be here, and good evening, everyone, or whatever time of the day you're listening to it. Mm. And you are. So, can you repeat the question? Sorry. Yeah, what what is that you actually do? <laughs> I, 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 sorry, I just jumped in a little bit. Yeah. So, what you you got Atairu? You're the founder CEO. Mm-hmm. What is Atairu? So. Um, I um, I founded Atairo in 2013, mm. and there is actually um, a bit of a backstory to that. So I might jump into that if mm. you don't mind, because I think um, what's important to me, and I think what what is important to you, at least when we had the chit chat um, before, is why people do what they do, and. Um, Atairu has a lot of deeper meanings that might not uh, be visible in a sort of a typical introduction, if you if you wish. Because I could start by saying that we are a leadership development company, we are in top 10 in Europe, etc. But I think what's more important to me is why I found it and, and why we do what we do and uh, why we chose the name that we chose. And... This all goes back to when I was doing my MBA at Harvard um, because actually I I never was doing things linked to leadership or personal development, even though I liked them a lot, but but actually my background was in finance. But um, when I was doing my my MBA at Harvard, I had a bit of a, you could call it a crisis or um, burnout, However, however you want to call it, I, I don't really care. But the the question that was going through my mind is that, is it possible for people to um, deliver results or deliver performance? Because in the environments that I worked at, that was very important. So I knew that's important in business. But my question was, can we deliver performance, uh, but also do it in a way which is sustainable? and where we can be fulfilled at the same time and and make a difference. And because I was coming from a more of a finance uh, numbers background, I wanted to do research around that. 
And that's when I started to do research and see if there are any leaders around the world who are like that. And once we found them, what is it that they have in common? And and that's how we got into the two leadership topics that we really focus on, which is authentic leadership and uh, which is linked to inner motivation and collaboration and work with diversity and adaptive leadership, which is how can individuals, teams and organizations be future ready and I got really passionate about these topics. Um, and when and what's interesting, when I was at Harvard, I actually met a lady who was doing a research at um, at the uh, Atlantic Rainforest in Brazil, and she was actually sharing with me that there is a very uh, that this rainforest is very interesting because when you look at the soil. In terms of nutrients, it's very poor, one of the poorest in the world, um, if you would compare the different um, soils, soils mm. of rainforests. But what's interesting is that it has the greatest biodiversity on Earth, which is in a, in a way a symbol of a thriving ecosystem, of a life on Earth, right? And And what was interesting that she was sharing with me some of the principles that even though the soil is very poor, which in business terms you could translate it as limited resources, right? So even though it has limited resources and even though there is competition, uh, because whenever you go into a rainforest, I mean, it's a mm. tough environment, right? Mm. In the same way that business is. There are predators and, exactly. and but competing for the resources as well. Exactly. But what's interesting is that the dominant model is collaboration, and that they actually leverage the strength of the different elements of nature, whether animals or or plants, and that they can they can leverage these limited resources and the strengths of each of the elements of the ecosystem and create a thriving ecosystem. Which, mm. if you would make an analogy to the research that I was doing, this is sort of being um, deliver results but in a way that is fulfilling, sustainable, and, and making a difference. So, so there was a lot of analogies, and and I got really passionate about actually bringing this type of culture into organizations, into teams, and, um, and that's, for me, this was a big turning point professionally, because that's when I decided this is what I want to do, this is m- my personal mission, mm. And um, and this is the mission of Atairu in a very simplified terms. And actually, Atairu, the name, means partners on a trip to the new in the language of the indigenous people of the rainforest. Uh-huh. So that's that's basically what we are doing. And, and we are on a... So we are not just a leadership development company, but, but actually we are on a mission to um, reinvent education and for me education personally leadership development is part of an education that we as as adults need to focus on i believe that kids need to focus on and on that as well but my focus is on adults learning and actually how can we reinvent it in a way that people can um, develop these two elements and organizations and teams of working with inner motivation working with authenticity with diversity with collaboration that's the authentic leadership but at the same time how can we be adaptive how mm. can how can we learn the new skills and and be future ready and that's in a nutshell of what we do and and why we do it mm. but 
it's um it's an interesting thing because I think uh, I mean and yeah the last two three years show that also that that businesses face a lot of a lot of challenges and I think um, I think in, in the analogy to to the um, rainforest for example I I'm just thinking back you know like when I was starting my career like 25 years ago uh, I don't think that b- businesses were built like that in 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 general, to capitalize, or at least not knowingly, you know, like to capitalize on people's or complementing each other and capitalize on each other's strength and 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 actually embracing the the, the diversity or differences, you know, it, it was very much like a top down. Mm-hmm. Um, the power all rested somehow at the top, mm-hmm. and when I came here to to the Czech Republic, I I felt that. I felt that I went backwards because uh, in when I was working in Denmark and in Iceland, I felt that I was more pl- part of a team or a flatter organization, even even though that I was the CEO, I was still one of them. And then when I came here, I felt that I became God somehow in the eyes of the employees. And I was, I don't know, the predator in the, in the rainforest somehow. And they were f- expecting me to take decisions that... We're not. I was telling him I'm not good in this. Can you find someone more clever in the organization that can make this, or at least recommend something? And and then I started thinking: Is that maybe because of the background here of the you know the communism and 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 how power was manifested in one person, or you know, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, what's the question? Yeah, I'm. I'm. No, it's it's maybe more like. Um, are our companies are they ready for this you know are they are are they there yet or is are, i don't know because i know that you worked everywhere in the world i mean you have clients all over the world and you have worked yourself what's the difference here in this so you're asking two questions mm, the first question is are the companies ready mm. i think they are mm. um they are definitely more ready now than in 2013 when we started. And um, I think they are ready for several reasons. I think if, and and one of the questions will be more focused on, on here, the other is more in generic terms. I think here you could see that after the revolution in 89, there started this whole entrepreneurial boom and it was all sort of going well, right? When you look at the, um, sort of what started in the first decade in the 21st century is there, um, and, and I experienced it as a management consultant as well, you you got all this, I call it process improvements period, right? So um, actually there were a lot of inefficiencies and companies were doing cost cutting, they were doing Salesforce effectiveness in mm. operations, they were doing lean programs, etc. But it was very much focused on the process efficiencies. And I think, um, I think as a, as a country and as companies here, they've done a lot of progress. Now, now we are at the phase um, that if you are looking at where are the biggest gaps in unused potential, now it's not in um, it's not in process improvements, and 
you are not going to get that much growth just from the market itself. And it, it, it is a lot in how you work with people and how you work with people's potential. So mm. I think I actually feel that a lot of clients are very ready for that and um, both here and abroad. And I think actually within the last two years, this trend has even more accelerated. What's interesting is I saw... Um, I saw actually uh, the results of a study that uh, PwC here did, which mm. is um, a CEO study in um, in this year when they were looking at at uh, what are some of the results. And what's interesting, if you if you look at the CEOs and what are their top challenges at this moment, number one challenge is um, having not enough people on the on the market, right? Mm. So, so there is basically a huge lack of yeah, some three hundred thousand open positions in the country exactly. without people. Yeah, exactly. And and I think this all goes to how do you work with the people you have? Mm. How do you leverage the potential so that they don't leave? Right. So it's it's the and actually this is number one. Sixty percent of all the CEOs that they surveyed agreed with that. So so that's number one pain point that they have. Um, and then uh, number two is sort of issues in the supply chain. Number three is the whole energy um, prices, etc. And number four is that the the COVID nineteen pandemic, and again linked with um, with an impact on people, right? Uh, that and and we've seen that with regards to um, that COVID nineteen has also accelerated to how people work. You know, they shifted the way we work. Uh, but also some of the challenges that people have in terms of well-being, etc. So again, you actually have companies seeing now that the way you work with people is really a strategic issue. Mm. Um, and I think these results are just part of that. And, and we do see that as well. So it's more, yeah, I, I see where, where it, yeah, I see the logic in this because you know, like you've gone through all the processes and you've gone through the modernization, you've gone through the technology and, and, and all these things. And now you need to create more with less mm -hmm. people and and you need to keep them. You mm -hmm. need to keep them happy. And uh, so it puts the emphasis maybe in a different, in a different place. Um, you need to keep them happy, but I think I would add to that one more thing, which is... This whole topic of companies being future ready is also about the ability of people actually to learn. Um, this is linked with the digitalization and other things, learning new skills, new ways of doing things, etc. And this is again linked with people, right? Mm. So I think even this future readiness is very much linked with the potential of how you work with your people. Mm. But we, we tend to see, I mean, uh, and I think it's very human, we tend to see change as a threat. Mm -hmm. So it must be, and both the uh, the managers and the people, uh, the, the leaders and, and, and whoever else in the organization of a company, always, I think, the first default kind of reaction to to a change is that it's threat. It's a threat to me. It's a threat to my abilities, or I'm not going to be needed. Um, so that must be one of the most challenging things for you 
or or of your programs that you run is to actually get people to buy into this and see the potential, right? Mm-hmm. There is actually what's what's interesting when it comes to changes is that, um, as you said, people do view it as threat. Mm. And I think there is actually an interesting research, and I'm just um, l- looking at it, which is, it's called um, Kubler-Ross model. And it basically shows that um, there there are different phases of reaction to change. The first one is shock, then there is a denial, there is frustration, there is depression. Mm-hmm. And first, these four phases, right, out of seven are negative. Mm-hmm. And then you first go into experimentation, decision, and integration. Now, what's important in what you are saying, and, and I think we don't realize it, is that actually having some kind of negative reaction is absolutely natural, right? And it's just about how how fast can you help people go, through, recover, yeah. go through that process, mm. right? But I actually think having this, um, and that's what I like about this research, is that it frames the question differently, that because we feel, well, they are not, you know, they are struggling with change. It's actually, it's very natural mm. to us as human beings, mm. right? Mm. And and for some it's faster, it's more natural, for some it's more challenging, but it's actually something there. And, and what we see actually working with change is, is, has been a big theme within the last two years. I mean, this has been a theme forever, right? But I think it has been accelerated. Yeah, it's a disruptor now somehow exactly. with COVID and all that. Because what COVID did, it's actually interesting, what COVID did is that COVID set a new standard for how fast we bring innovation to the market. Because mm. through COVID, and, and there are so many examples, right, when companies were selling um, offline, then all the stores got closed, and they, within three weeks, and you, you, these are examples of like yeah. global players, yeah. they actually went and developed this whole alternative um, way, s- way mm. which was online selling, right? Mm. And, and It would some, have taken three years before that exactly, project. <laughs> exactly. And now they managed within three weeks. And mm. every single company that we've seen went through some kind of process like that, whether it's in the business model, whether it's in cost the way side they, or whatever, yeah. cost side, mm-hmm. whether it's in the way they launch products or whatever, right? Now, what happened is when you imagine you would be in, you know, you said you were a CEO, right? So imagine, you know, this happened in your company and, mm. and before people would have been telling you it, it will take half a year and now you saw that it's possible in three weeks. Mm. Now, if they come next time and they are going to come with a project proposal and they say, look, we want to do something, it's going to take three months, right? And you are going to say like, why, right? Like we, we've all seen it. it. It took three weeks. So why three months now? And, And this is what COVID did, is that uh, COVID set a new standard on how fast innovations are being brought to the market. Mm. Now, what happens with that is that a whole new body of research now shows that the most important thing is to be a fast innovator. By fast means how fast you are able to bring things to the market. That's the most important thing. And if you are able to do that, it has positive impact on your top line, on your bottom line, you know, on on the market share, everything. Now, what's interesting about that from a leadership perspective 
this creates a huge pressure on leaders. Now, again, you said you were a CEO, right? So, uh, it, on any on any management position, we we need to have two hats. One mm. is how do we run the business and how do we deliver the results that we need to, and how do we change the business at the same time and have it ready, has it, have it have it have it future ready, right? Mm. Now, what happened with COVID is that. Um, we now have to be much more focused on also how we do not just to run the business, but to change the business in a fast way. And to me, this is one of the biggest leadership challenges that we have now because of this accelerated speed, you know, this change the business. It's not just something, let's say, you would do every yeah, Friday for three. Yeah, it becomes for, a permanent mm-hmm. part of how you do business, what do you mean, right? Exactly. Mm. But what's challenging about that is that, um, you know, like I, I had a very operational day today. Okay, mm. Today was uh, in run the business part. I thought, I, you know, I actually was not um, meant to be working. I was already meant to be on vacation, but I thought, okay, I'm going to, there are a few things I need to finish, etc. You need to go to a podcast. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. But uh, that's for me more of a fun part, right? Yeah. Um, that's for me not really working. But, um, but anyhow, now, and I've been in a very productive state today. Now, the, the challenge is, and actually very busy. Now, the challenge is that imagine that in this state, I should take an hour or two to suddenly think about how do I bring a tire to next level. It's not easy because it's a completely different energy, right? Mm. It requires me to think differently. Mindset and... Everything. So it's not like in between of my very intense operational day, mm. I would suddenly stop at 11 and between 11 and 12, I would say, okay... Now I'm going to go and think about Atairu, you know, Big Bad, which for us it's mm. Atairu TV. I'm sure we'll probably talk about that. But it, it's just, you know, it's so challenging, right? Mm. And because it requires a different way of thinking, it requires different energy to be in. It requires also from a leadership perspective to do things differently. Mm. And that's the challenge that people have that, it's just not, e- you cannot just switch easily in between these two. And how do you combine them in a week? How do you combine them in a day? Because what we see now from a strategic perspective is that people, if they are too much in the run the business, they don't invest enough and change the business. Mm-hmm. The business, you know, in, in a year time. You become a dinosaur. Exactly. You can become mm. a dinosaur or there will be other people who are moving much faster than you are, mm. right? Mm. So that's, I think, a very interesting leadership challenge that we are seeing right now. And it actually, it's a, a lot of pressure that is being put on leaders and managers and having this market where you don't have enough people. Mm. Um, um, that's quite, um, I think, quite an interesting mix. Yeah. I, I think it's... Uh and it's it's very <clears throat> I think it's very interesting here actually because um, um, I have a feeling that the the government policies don't necessarily help uh, in terms of immigration work permits and and these kind of things because I I personally think that this country and this uh, labor market is actually very attractive uh, it has a lot of or it's kind of moving up in the value chain. Uh, as such, you know, if I look at, for example, IT in, in the Czech Republic now versus, I don't know, even just 10 years ago, it's a very different field with a lot of startups, a lot of creative creative stuff. Um, and uh, 
yeah, it's it's not like a country that depends only on unskilled labor at the lowest end of the, the spectrum in terms of salary. So I think a lot of people would actually like to live here. But uh, <coughs> I, have a, I have a feeling that we don't necessarily have a, a system that accommodates that well enough. Um, but yeah, I'm not a politician, so... I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think um, I am more looking at it. I mean, I agree, and I think it's important. Uh, my personal belief in this sense is I'm looking at things. What is it that I can directly influence? Yeah, and what yeah, is it that I yeah, cannot? Yeah. Yeah, and and basically the things that are very hard to influence or it will take a longer time. That's something I personally don't focus on. No, and it makes sense because I mean it's it's not your problem to solve. But it's just, I think that that's also a big part of, of the issue. But of course, it also can create a, a also creates an environment that maybe forces companies to be more clever mm-hmm. and more creative. And, and as you say, but let's take a step back a little bit. So, where, where were you born? I was born here. In Prague? Yes. Uh huh. And, uh, and that's roughly when? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on June twentieth, nineteen eighty-three. Uh huh. So you you re- recall communism somehow, or or the change of the you know the regime before the change in eighty-nine? Yes, I I do, but not. I mean, I I was uh, six, right? Mm-hmm. When the revolution happened, so I was in the first grade. Mm. So I mean, I I do I, I do think it did have an influence on me. Um, but uh, I don't think in any dramatic sense. No, but but I'm. It must be. I often thought about it when I came here, um, that because I'm I'm ten years older than you, and and a lot of the people that I was working with, um, lot of, a lot of the managers that I that that I was working with here, they they were my age, and I I started thinking about it that they had actually spent. Uh, all of their education was in a system that had been abandoned. You know, they were their primary school was under communism, and then their secondary school was under communism, and some of them, even some of their university studies, had been under communism. So, and then overnight, the country changes. Like you go from a, I don't know, restrictive model to a free market model, and it must have been. It must have been such a steep learning curve for for the business environment here. I mean, obviously you are, yeah, as you say, you're sick, so you don't necessarily see that. But what about your parents? Were they involved in business or something? Or I think it, what what was important is that um, my so I think my parents would be in a category of educated but uh, poor. Mm. Um, but my father, uh, my father became an entrepreneur and I think that did have a big positive influence on my life mm-hmm. because I um, so so he started um, he started a business and he um, uh, he he actually went into a technology business uh, with selling computers and uh, then went into a real estate business uh, they moved up north then to the mountains where they been living basically for the past 25 years. In Bohemia and Switzerland or, or, or up there? No, or? it's in Krkonoše, uh-huh. in Spindlerufnin. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it's actually super nice. So I think that did have a big influence on me mm. personally because I 
I um I am very entrepreneurial and I think my father was a big role model for me in that sense. Mhm. And 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 how were you as a student? Were you a good student always and and good grades and well behaved and I was <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, you know, I I was um and I'm so so I was a more of a of this um good girl good student type of a person and uh and I think the the big thing that in a way and then that's maybe coming to some of the point you raised earlier I think I was very obedient uh uh while I think in my nature I am not as much but I uh I think I I was and and then I think for the first time when 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 something inside me shifted um because I'm in the first generation that was able to go abroad and and so I went when I was 16 for one year to the US mm-hmm. and um and that was a big defining moment for me in a way of seeing possibilities and really started to thinking for myself what do I want to do with them because I think before I was much more in this obedient thing not mm. really understanding why am I doing thing things and and yeah I think this this bigger why behind because for me that's super super important mm. and and actually coming to the US um Number one, it allowed me to ask myself questions um, of, you know, maybe I don't need to go to university in the Czech Republic. Maybe I can go abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I opened your eyes to the possibilities somehow. Mm-hmm. It it did. It mm-hmm. did. And, um, and not only that, it opened the eyes to the possibility. I think it, it allowed me to ask myself a question. If anything is possible, what do you want to choose mm-hmm. and why? Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big um that was a big moment for me because I think the the decision that I want to go to Harvard was born around this time simply because I was in the US and uh and I was there when people were in high school the, the last year and they were sort of applying to university and and I went through this process not that I would apply myself but but actually where would I go why what are the schools yeah everyone around you was in that frame of mind so you kind of got sucked into that exactly exactly uh-huh. and um and then when I and actually I saw um some people who were applying to Harvard from the school that I was in in Arizona and then I was looking at this guy and thinking like if he can apply to Harvard maybe I can do that too right yeah. you know sort of yeah. it, it gives you um it gives you this um possibility but also in a way confidence like yeah. if if he's if he's really doing that and like it's a guy I'm sitting next to like why wouldn't why I not you? why wouldn't I be able to but do that but is there a is there a mindset that you because this is exactly how i think and and i think but i i i think i i i think i it's thanks to i think where i'm from because i come from a very equal society where everyone goes to the same schools there are no private schools in iceland there are no uh you know like yeah you don't see a class difference mm-hmm. so for me it was just natural even though that my parents were not rich and they were not super educated and and had not uh, 
we were not yeah we didn't have a lot of money sometimes we almost didn't have any money but I never felt somehow inferior to anyone and I always thought exactly in the way that that you were saying well if this person they he has two legs two hands ten fingers ten toes hopefully I can do all the same stuff and I still use this actually today and it it's a very good kind of a I don't know I call it my like it's an inner balancer somehow that there is nothing to be afraid of somehow mm-hmm. I call it impossible mindset uh-huh just having this um this frame of mind that anything is possible because it allows you to think in that way like when we were in Atairo we were going through this process where last year we became one of the top 10 leadership companies in Europe and we were and we were sort of thinking like what's next right like what do we want to do what's the ambition because we always wanted to make a difference and then a uh, uh, one colleague on our team, his name is Petra, he said, why don't we set an ambition of uh, positively influencing one million people by 2025? And I said, I like it. Mm-hmm. And and one of the reasons why I like these kind of impossible mindset things is not to prove or achieve or play with the ego, but it it just sets the frame of mind, right? Like when I was asking, like, like what if I would go to Harvard, Right. Um, it's it sort of, you start to think, okay, what needs to happen for me to get there? And in the same way, when we said the same mm. impossible mindset, and for me, definition of impossible is when you don't know how. Yeah. And when you don't know how, then that's a good signal that it, it is an impossible thing in mm. a way, right? Impossible in... Mm, yeah, because you don't know the route. I, I don't know the route, right? I don't know how. Uh, but it, it it's in the same way that that when we ask that question with that frame of mind, and then you start to think, okay, like I don't know, not, I don't know how right now, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. So let me think, what would need to happen to get closer on that journey? And I think it's that's when innovation, that's where innovation is born, because you. You know, it forces you to think outside of the box. It mm. forces you to think outside of your regular thought pattern. And that's what what, what I like. Because mm. when you ask the questions, not from an ego perspective, right? But from a perspective of making a difference. Like we, for us, it's, you know, making leadership accessible to people. Mm. Um, so for us, actually having this ambition is something that excites us. Uh, because we believe we will make a difference to mm. societies or um to this country or many other countries so so i think that's what happened to me um in the u.s and i think has been accompanying me ever since but that's also uh, i think like um, um it's kind of a u.s thing in a way that people are I, I have a feeling that at least it was like that that young american people are made believe that they can become anything. Um, and I've, I've felt that here, my, my girlfriend is the same age as you, and uh, she's Hungarian. Um, and we, I, I, when, when I talk to her about, I don't know, so, somehow the culture or, or something, I get, I get the feeling that here it was more expected that you would kind of keep your head down. You wouldn't be... You know, don't be too much. Don't don't have I don't know. Don't put mm-hmm. your highest hopes too high. I agree. 
Yeah. That's why I think leadership is important. And I think leadership should be part of your education. Mm. But how was it then for your parents when they and your grandparents when they saw you kind of flap your wings and and uh, did they always support you or was there anyone who was like no you know just come home and have kids and and No, I think they always they always did support me. Mm. I think so. I think that's probably the part of uh you know because that was in the 90s a lot that there was this element of actually seeing the opportunity. And I so mean, that was the uh, that's the atmosphere. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I have actually now that you're asking I never I mean w- what really mattered to me were my parents and my parents were always very supportive. Mm-hmm. So I think with the rest I didn't really care that much. Mm. Honestly. Mm. Um but you yeah, so what did you study? You went to university here, right? So um so I went to I I actually did graduate the high school in the US. Uh-huh. Um I don't have a Czech high school diploma. Okay. Which was an issue in my family uh because I then went to an American university here. Uh because I just simply didn't want to go to high school. I felt it would slow me down to spend another two years in high school when I already knew where I want to go and what I want to do. So I went to university, um, to an American university here where they would accept my high school diploma from the US. And uh, with the intent of transferring as soon as possible somewhere abroad. And so after, I think, three semesters, if I remember correctly, uh, I transferred to the UK. And I finished. Uh, I finished my university. That's why you know I actually did finish when I was twenty and a half. So not even yeah. You 21. must have been younger than most of your yeah friends here. But I think there was this element of um, I don't want to sound arrogant, but there I think uh, maturity in the sense of I knew that I wanted to do things. I wanted to do big things, make a difference, and I just didn't feel I want to spend a lot of time at school. Yeah, it's not the bohemian life of drinking and party. Uh, like it, it school just, in itself uh, was... For me, this more was like, um, like I like the education mm. a lot, but I, I wanted to get into the real world and start doing things like that. That's always been, and I think that's the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial part, right? That mm. I just... Like studying until I'm 25 or 26, that felt like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I didn't like school and school didn't really like me. But on the other hand, there were these four years in, in, in high school, or like before we went to university in this uh, gymnasium or high school, that these are, for me, these are some of the f- most cool memories in a way. Because, you know, like you're also kind of, discovering things you're having your first girlfriends and stuff like you know there's so much stuff going on i'm not sure i would want to miss that part i would be happy if i didn't spend all the time on on studying you know because yeah i wanted to grow up i I wanted to be an adult you know and make money and 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 whatever but um um what did you graduate from what was the the field business finance Uh uh-huh so 
and you wanted to be an accountant or a CFO or, or no. I, I always wanted to get into developmental finance. Uh-huh. I was never really into the finance for making money part. I, I I don't know. And, you know, it's interesting when you're saying that you wanted to, like this, being with friends and hanging around. Mm. I had it a bit, but I think for me, I've, I don't know. I think ever since... I I went to the US. I just wanted to get into the world and do big things and make a difference. I think that's been really important to me. So why, why is that so important? I don't know. It's always been. Mm. It's just been there even throughout. It's actually, I mean, at that time I was more ashamed of that, but it's always been there. I why think, would you be ashamed of such? I think you just, I don't know. I think it can go back to the things you said, like, you know, it would feel kind of arrogant if you're 18 and you want to say, I want to do big things and change the world. And I don't know, at least Mm -hmm. in in that context, but I always felt it. Mm -hmm. So I, when I studied finance, I wanted to do finance and use finance for making a difference. So I wanted to, so I, I actually went to the UN afterwards. Um, And, and, and because I felt that I can m- make a difference through working with organizations that are actually making a difference. And I went to work for the um, WFP, which is World Food Program, mm-hmm. which was in Italy, which is actually very interesting because it's the, one of the largest, it's actually the largest of the UN agencies. I think at that time it had 17,000 people working for it, mainly in the field. The, the World Food Program yes. alone. Yes, wow, yes, yes. That's crazy. 17,000 yeah. people. It's actually yeah, it's it's definitely one of the largest humanitarian organizations worldwide and it's not that well known because actually like when you compare it to UNICEF for example, UNICEF's model is much more B2C so they had to build a brand for the consumers while WFP uh, has been always financed by government, so they never really bothered into yeah, building. Yeah, to reach out and building anything, yeah. Because they, I mean, first when I started, um, when I joined, that's when they started to do a private sector fundraising division, and that's where I where I joined. But um, but actually, they never really bothered. And, and for me, uh, you know, working for an organization like that, I actually started as a as an intern or as a volunteer um, because it was in my last, like when I finished my university uh, for half a year, I went there and um, I couldn't be an intern anymore because I officially finished university. So I went as a volunteer for six months and then they um, they really liked what I was doing and I helped them set up the finance function in in the private sector fundraising and and the the whole division grew i think within the 2 years that i was there from raising few million dollars to raising 100 million dollars um annually in combination of cash and in kind mm-hmm. donations and and that was super super interesting for me and mm. and so that in a way was a was something where I mean, you could say I joined them when I was less than 21, right? But I mean, that's that was the idea of how I would spend my time, what would excite me, you know, that you are actually... I joined there and um, uh, it was... Actually, I was joining in uh, January 2000... 
five. The, I think it was two thousand. It was when the tsunami hit, and mm-hmm. uh, I think tsunami was yeah. December two thousand four. Four, yeah. And I joined in January, uh, yeah. two thousand two thousand five. Exactly. Um, so I was twenty one, and it was uh, it was super. It was super exciting time because you were actually seeing how your work is helping people directly. Mm. You know, what was you, a, there was a crisis. What they are doing on mm. the ground. So, so that was super exciting for mm. me. But I'm just now when I'm listening to you, like it's really interesting. You were born at the right time. If you would have been born 10, 15 years earlier, you probably wouldn't have done all this. Do you think so? Because I mean, you 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 had the freedom that you you were kind of at the right coming into the system when it was changing and I you know you were in the UK you were in the US you went to Italy do you think a Czech person born in I don't know 73 could have done this I don't know no I don't know I mean I I I don't know it's it's hard to say because I I think um, the environment does influence you for Mm. sure but I think there are other things that that do, right? And so you never know. No. But do you, so you, did you go to McKinsey from the UN, right? Mm-hmm. And why McKinsey? Well, I think um, while I really enjoyed working for the UN, I think where um, about half of the people are super educated great to learn from are really putting the heart into the organization thing the second half is the bureaucratic part mm. that's more challenging and i actually realized for me it's been working greatly when the department was growing and because i sort of came into a startup um of the organization that was uh, uh, that was working fantastically Not well too many processes and well, I think there were processes, but I think because of the growth, I was able to learn a lot. Because for me, the learning part was important. It was not about growing to a certain position or having a certain title. It was more learning on the job. And um, and so what I realized was um, that at some point when you work for the UN, is um, the two things that were really a key decision maker for me. One is that I realized that um, you have to rotate. Um, and I started at the headquarters in Rome. But then most of the work is really done in the field, whether it's Sudan or Congo or um, or somewhere else. And I think I, I realized that there is not going to be that much growth uh, and not that much opportunity to learn. And the second reason for me was a personal reason because I always wanted a family and I actually saw a lot of friends that were spending four years in Sudan or in Congo or in Afghanistan and then coming back and they didn't really have a personal life and for me it was um, it was at that time it just never occurred to me that maybe I would not have children or that I wouldn't have a partner or something it, it mm. just never occurred that this would be possible and and at that time, I, um, my parents were sort of like um, asking questions, do you want to come back? You know, you've been abroad for so long. Why don't you come back, live here for a while, etc." And I think it came back, it sort of came together at the right timing when I said, okay, that um, might be a good idea. But I, um, but I was in this 
I think, internal search of what would it be. And um, because I knew I want to go, the only thing I knew is that I want to go in an environment where I will learn a lot. Mm. And that will help me figure out what I want. Because at that stage, I was like, okay, I thought it's more in that uh, like UN type of field. And I realized there were elements I liked, but the, this is not the way. So um, actually, I didn't know about consulting before. I, I didn't know McKinsey. And I actually had a roommate in Italy who was at Accenture. And she told me, look, if you don't know what you want and you want to learn, then consulting is a great you know, thing to do. And I worked for Accenture, so why didn't she apply to Accenture? And then she said, and then I heard that McKinsey is the best. So I said, okay. So I applied to Accenture and McKinsey in Prague, and uh, I got offer from both, and then I decided to join McKinsey. Oh, that's really, really interesting. So there was no plan behind it. There was more kind of a, just a change. I, I like to call it synchronicities. Mm. Um, or um, Actually, I like the book... Um, by Deepak Chopra, which calls, which talks about um, uh, synchrodestiny, uh, or it's this sort of like a points where synchronicity occurs, but it's sort of supposed to drive you in a certain direction. So mm -hmm. I felt that was the point for me. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I, I worked with a lot of people from McKinsey in my career, and and, and I have um, both admired them and feared them because um, <laughs> it seems to be somehow uh, McKinsey has the ability to, um, how do you say it, indoctrine some sort of a systematic approach that is very, very sim simple and very effective. Uh, and it's really funny because I worked with uh, McKinsey people in multiple markets and people from multiple countries, but they kind of all do the same. And I'm just really curious how... How can such a huge global company manage to make all these, I, I sometimes call them smart robots, I know it's probably degrading somehow because it's, th these are very clever people and they're you know, good people, it's not like that, but they are, they're just so systematic. How, 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 how does McKinsey do this? So do you fear me too? No, I'm not. I'm not I'm, no, but it's just. I'm just you know, wondering after half an hour that we've been talking, you know. Uh, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, no, I'm. 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 I'm just uh, because I'm from the opposite end. You know, I have no system. I have no background. I have just my intuition, and uh, I actually think you have a lot of that as well. So you're a you're a hybrid model. Somehow you're in between, you know. But how does McKinsey manage this? What do they do? What, what's so I think um, I'll start with your end. I um, I do think I have both. Mm. I actually McKinsey has very positively influenced me. Mm, I call it for me. It's like a university of business, the the real university of business. And I think the the amazing thing about this company is that when you join and you don't really have a lot of um, work experience they they teach you all you need to do um that you start on a on a study on a project you are young you don't understand the field but they teach you a process a method how do you get it how do you analyze it without actually knowing all the detail that there is a process of actually solving problems and that you can apply that process and the structure to really anything that is happening to you and I think that it's super liberating because it gives you a lot of confidence mm. to 
come and solve problems that you don't have the answer to, maybe you don't understand, but still have a process that's like an anchor that you can use. And I think that's super powerful. And I think there are a, a lot of techniques that I still use um, that have been helping me in, in different types of situation. The second thing I, I learned a lot, and that's been super helpful for my then later career at, or, you know, my, my work with at, or at Atairu is this ability to how do you talk to senior people in a way that you are a thought partner and, you know, like, you know, if uh, you were the CEO, I'm coming in, I'm 23 or 40. I mean, you have 20 years of experience more than me, right? Mm, mm. You probably understand the industry better than me. You, you, you have so many things I don't have, but they still, they teach you how can you be a thought partner in this type of environment? And how can you do that through asking powerful questions, you know, to actually seeing how can I bring you a different perspective that mm -hmm. you don't have, but not in a way that makes you compete with you, yeah, but that actually, yeah. but it's actually, you know, how can I be a thought partner and really help you solve your problems with actually having this huge handicap that you objectively have. And I think these two things have been super helpful. Mm. And I think there's a third thing which, which has helped me a lot is that it helps you to find comfort outside of your comfort zone because every project is a new, every type of situation is new and you're continuously outside of a comfort zone. And when you feel like you're getting into a comfort zone, then they have this up or out mechanism, right? So they they uh, promote you and then, you know, you're out of outside of your comfort zone again. So, mm -hmm. and I think that's been super helpful for me as well because I... Um, I mean, we at Atairo have been growing for 30% every year as, as a company. And it's it, there are always things that are new, that are outside of my comfort zone. And I think um, I learned how to find comfort in this type of situations, which I think is super, super valuable. Mm. So I think that's what McKinsey really, really does. It, it does have, I think uh, there, there are downsides i think the company has been working on them a lot because i mean i i left in 2013 right so it's been a while since i was there but uh but i think this focus on on a process um and structure um over maybe certain elements um that you mentioned i i've noticed that myself and that's why i knew that if i want to do things around culture, leadership, etc. This is especially not a, like this is not McKinsey's business model, especially here in this part of the world. They are um, they are big offices that do that in London or the US, US yeah. but but definitely not here because mm. the price point just economically it would it would not work. Mm. Um so that's been parts that uh I mean I, I've been the missing human, as the well. human part. Well, I wouldn't call it the human part because I think they are very focused on people. Mm. They they are even internally on hiring talent, developing people. So I wouldn't say this human part. I think um, I think it's different, um, probably different elements, and that would require us to probably have a longer conversation yeah. ab about that. But I, there is definitely this this part that's maybe not you know the their biggest strength. Mm. Uh, was it while you were there that you did the MBA, or or yeah, or yeah, and and that you did, and you eventually went to Harvard, right? Yes, 
Yes. So, so the dream of the 16-year-old came a reality. Yes. And was that like a one or two-year program? How, how was two that? Two-year program. Uh-huh. It was a two-year program. And so you, you moved. Mm-hmm. And I, I moved with a two-month-old baby. Uh-huh. And then I gave birth to a second one while I was there. So actually had two years. Um, we had this acronym that here that MBA actually means make baby in America. So I made two. <laughs> during a two-year program, right? And uh, but that's not very common, right? I mean, that, no. that you I was actually the first woman in the in the history of the Harvard MBA that had two children during during the two-year program. So they gave me a special award. Really? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, that's amazing. So you blow, broke the glass roof. <laughs> yeah, you could. Call I heard it. I heard the story about this as well, actually, that they gave you a special nursery in the yeah. school. Yeah, yeah, they were, I actually think they were super supportive. And for me, coming from this mindset thing that we discussed, I think it was, I'm actually super grateful I had children in the US because because they, uh, I you know, it's interesting. I, I always wanted to go just to Harvard, so I didn't apply anywhere else, right? And when mm. I, I just focused on that application, I, I can be very focused and very sort of, this is where I go, this is what I'm doing, and that's it. So I I I send the application and then one week later I found out I'm pregnant right so so it was an unplanned um, surprise but actually one that we are very happy about I actually think that was the best thing that has happened to me and and so what was interesting is that while I was having um, my two sons there they were all very supportive and they were all. For two years, I haven't heard anything with regards to that. I might not be a good mother or something. It was more like, that's great. You know, we are so supportive. It's so good that you are trying to do school and that you are trying to be a mother and we want to do anything possible to make that happen to you. Tell us what you need. And, and you know, I felt like a superstar in a way, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> In a, and I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it, it just felt it, it felt really great. And I, I first realized that I actually didn't realize it then. I realized that when I came back and then when I started to sort of get comments such as, you know, are you really a good mother if you're yeah, working? Yeah, working and, yeah. and uh, are you sure your children are not suffering? And, you know, like I felt here there is this mindset that either you're working or, a mom. or you are a good mom mm. and they are in a way mutually exclusive. Um, and I think, uh, and I actually think this is a big issue here. And I, I felt strong because I felt so much support um, from the US that I was actually building on. And, and also because I have a really great husband. So I think in that sense, because he went on maternity leave when I was at Harvard. Um, so I think that really gave us as, 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 as parents, really, like he gained a lot of understanding of what it is to take care um, in the, the US. Children, they have yeah. a primary caretaker, right? So, so for him, he was the primary caretaker. Mm. So what it actually entails. And then um, for us to, you know, build that partnership in, in raising the children. But, uh, but I'm I'm very I'm very grateful because I don't think I would have been able to feel that strong in the sense that I don't doubt I am uh, you know uh, like if someone would come and says you're not a good mother I you know would say your opinion you know you're, you're mm. fine what matters mm. to me is my my partner my you know my husband my my kids 
But um, but I think if I wouldn't have been to the U.S., you know, it would always create the self doubt, and I think that's. Um, Mm-hmm. It's very strong here. I mean, I've, I've I've heard this a lot from my friends here about this, and and I remember when, actually, it was really interesting that when I came here, uh, we had like 140 people, so we had a CFO that was a woman. She was very good in her job, and and she had educated herself, you know, like some four years to take a master's degree or five years or whatever. And then one day she walked into my office and said, yeah, I'm, I'm pregnant, I'm going to go on maternity. And I said, okay, so I'll see you in half a year. <laughs> because, you know, the, um, yeah. And, and she said, no, it's going to be three years. And then I'll probably have another child, so maybe three more years. And I was like, hmm, okay, so why did you go to school? Why did you, t- why did you t- go through all this and have this career? And, and you know... And it was so obvious to me that, as you said, it was—it's a mutual exclusive thing. You're either a good mom or you're—you have a career. And I don't think that it's a fair point to look at it because it excludes women from a lot of opportunities, you know. And it also maintains an unhealthy power with men, mm-hmm. not just in the relationship but also in the workplace. And uh, I, I was. So I'm not surprised that you say that it was liberating to go through this experience in in Harvard. Is the nursery still open? Yeah, I mean, they um, they have, so, so what they did, they opened um, a breastfeeding room for yeah. me. So it was not really a nursery, but it was like a breastfeeding room. You know, they, they've had a lot of sort of then personal support then, because I mean, there were, it's 30% women. And I think in the second year, we were three moms. So actually two more moms joined mm-hmm. um, in the, in the second year. So they were sort of doing things what we what we needed in a sense and then a lot of also policies then came up afterwards that were more systematic but it just it, for me what really mattered was the mindset right uh, that that but that, you changed the game though well i mean i think there were mothers before i think what uh, not to such young children but uh, yeah and i think not um two in uh, two years yeah it's amazing. Um, and then, yeah, so then you st- you start, you leave McKinsey and you start the title. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you kind of told me the why uh, mm-hmm. before. But uh, it's 2013. What were the kind of main things back then? You know, what 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 did what where did you see the opportunity? What was the niche in a way? So, um, you know, for me, when I was at Harvard, I when I was coming back to McKinsey, I already knew that I wanted to do things around leadership. I just didn't have the courage to um, to become an entrepreneur. To be honest, at that time. And I, mm, my second son, he's autistic, mm-hmm. the one who was born in the U.S. And um, and actually, it was him who gave me that courage to start Atiro because um, I I was not sure that uh, I am good enough to be on my own because I, um, until that point, I was always entrepreneurial within the given 
frame within a given company. And I think this was a bit, um, uh, it was like, okay, you know, how, how do I start? What do I do, etc. And then um, when uh, we found out that our son has longer term issues, it it gave uh, it did two things to me. I think at first it created this thing that life is now, but on a not on a rational level, on a physical level, because I think uh, rationally we all know it, right? That you should live in the present moment, life is now, and all that. But actually, we've had some challenging experiences with him in hospital, etc., and. And to feel that in yourselves, that the life is now, has been something transformational for me. And the second thing is that um, I um, I knew that uh, if I'm making that trade-off, that I'm actually not going to be with him full-time and that I'll continue working. Then you better do something interesting. It has to be 100% meaningful mm. to me. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, if you're in an office doing something where you're like, why the hell am I doing that? Or why is that? Why do we need to do that right now? Um, it, it just, again, as something changed for me, I just, I, I just knew I, you know, I, I had to focus only on things that are, very meaningful to me. So, so that and and the third thing is, I knew I want to have control and flexibility. Mm-hmm. So, I think that combined gave actually created that timing for uh, for me leaving McKinsey and actually uh, launching at Hyru. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pregnant with my third child, with my daughter. So, uh, I launched at Hyru in July. And actually, my daughter was born in October. Uh-huh. So I think uh, my kids are always linked to big moments in my in my life. And um, I think that was the big that was the big kick, if you want, mm. um, for me to to do it. And then I when I when I always think about things, and I think that's the McKinsey mind. I always think about what are the strategic choices or what are the strategic decisions that I'm making? And mm. and I made several when it comes to the design of the company. And I, and I always think these are important things to think about when you start a business. The first one was, I said, I want to focus on leadership, not on management training. And for me, the key difference between leadership development and management training is management training is informationally sort of, here are the four steps, how you give feedback, you know, or here are the three things that you need to have an effective performance dialogue or something. For me, leadership development is, you you need to have certain skills as well, for sure, but it's much more about development of you as a person. Mm. And it's much more transformational in the sense that you focus on the mindset shifts in how you look at yourself, how you look at people, how you look at the world. And and for me, that's the part that was much more interesting. So so I said, I want to do leadership development. Um, I said, I want to, I don't want to do one-off workshops, but I want to do a longer-term programs because then you can actually have impact with the organizations, have impact with the people, and that I want to focus on the top management and the middle management because when you really want to shift 
things in companies. These are the two groups that are super important. Mm. And and I think what's impo- what's been important for me is I I like the in Czech we say remeslo. I I I like the art of um, you know the or the craft as such of coaching, working with people, facilitating, etc. But I never wanted to be a coach. My ambition has always been is how do I build a business that is going to be world class or or very you know has very good very high standard of the services it delivers but but it's going to make a big difference internationally so that's been my my big big thing um that's you know i used when i when i started to design atiro but there must have been like uh, if you then ne- look at the the need i mean did you feel that okay the the i don't know like um this is a program that the market needs because of this and that. Like, you know, was there, um, no. you know, or would you, would no. you, no, no, because I, I mean, I, I very much believed. And when we come back to this philosophy, right. I, I very much believe that there is a potential on the market in general and that I want to go and start speaking with the leaders who want to explore it. Mm. And that's how I went about it. But leadership, I mean, um, there are certain things that you are just kind of hardwired in you. You know what I mean? Your character or or um, cr- creativity. And I mean, like in your case, you obviously have some entrepreneurial mm-hmm. in you that is going to be there no matter what you do. You know, it's, and you probably have it in your home and you have it in the workplace, anywhere that you go. Um isn't it like to what extent are we made or can we learn yeah so look i have an autistic child Mm. there's a lot of research about um how our brain can rewire and how our brain can learn right and i um honestly we don't know to what extent we are hardwired and to what extent we can build new synapses and and really build new elements of the brain. My personal belief is, of course, there are elements that are harder to change, Mm. but there is so much inefficiency in us not having self-awareness and working with the potential that um, I might not maybe change. And, of course, some people are more creative than others, etc., that's the authentic leadership part, right? We we don't want to change you. I don't want to change some of the key elements or make people, you know, try to, you know, if you wouldn't be that creative, try to awaken all that creativity in you if it's not there. But but I do believe, coming back to this, if I'm looking at it from the inefficiency perspective, right? I believe there is a lot of potential untapped in how we work with the people potential, how we work with collaboration. Most of the companies that we work with, they struggle with collaboration. There is so much value lost Mm. in an ability to collaborate. There is so much value, business value. And I mean, I like to, I mean, I I believe in soft stuff. I I even believe in a lot of spiritual stuff, right? But when I speak with with businesses, I I talk about value, right? Because at the end, it's about value creation a lot. And, Mm. and And I think that um, when you see what what companies are struggling with, if you are looking at what um, you know really uh, uh, where is the data 
where is the information? I mean, we've had a client that we had discussion actually last several several client examples, right? I might use we, for example, have been working with Vodafone. And Vodafone has, they globally came up with a strategy how to be future ready. And then we worked with Vodafone locally. How can they develop new skills for their management, all their people leaders across the organization so that they um, they are future ready so that they learn how to work differently because they said, okay, we are going to fundamentally change the way we work, you know, f- shifting from people coming to the office four days a week or something to actually maybe doing it one day per week, um, being in the office, maybe two and the rest being online. Now, what does it mean to how you lead the team? What are the things that you need to different? What are the new rules of the game? I mean, these are all new skills that, Mm -hmm. that they have to learn. Mm -hmm. And, um, they see a lot of value in that. You, we have another client that we've had discussion actually last week when they are now struggling. Seriously, it's it's actually one of the sort of large um, professional services company, and they they are missing ten percent of their workforce. They they just are not able to hire all the people they are losing. Now, if you think about it, ten percent, it's the type of business where you sell their times, which mm. means that actually top line, they are, they are, they Down have 10%. Yeah, 10% are, of the people th- is 30% of the revenue or something. Yeah. Exactly. There is a huge direct link, right? Mm. And, and if you actually are seeing, okay, why are the people not leaving? Well, you actually realize that you have a new generations coming in, you know, they don't want to work with the older managers because they don't really understand them. You know, there is a lot of things, but at the end, with many of these things, you can make a very direct link to business, right? Mm. And I think people are learning to understand that, that even though maybe it's not always causality, right? It's with the softer stuff, it's harder case to make sometimes, but the links are there, right? Mm. The, The links are there, somewhere stronger, somewhere weaker, but it's there. And, you know, when I told you that now the CEO's top challenge is that 60% of them tell you that there is, you know, like a workforce, mm. you know, the the way you work with the people you have is really critical mm. in the success of your business. But I guess, like, because, you know, like out of... Um as you were saying when you were at the UN, you know there was the tsunami in in in, in Asia and and the and the Philippines, in Thailand, Philippines and Vietnam, I think as well. Mm-hmm. Indonesia and, as well. Yeah, and Indonesia. So you you basically hit the ground uh, when there is a need, there is an urgency, and I, if I think about my personal development, not just in in terms of of, of business, but just as a human, uh, my my greatest <laughs> leaps as a person have come out of bad things, or you know, some sort of a game changing moment. Something happens that I didn't expect, and and I need to figure out my way out of it, and I need to grow out of it as a human, you know, and and then now if we look at so how how is business affected now? Okay, so we have COVID. That means, as you were saying, you know, most of the workforce is going to be at home or has to, had to be at home. Uh, there is a different need for delivery of your services, your products, your positioning. You have the supply issue. You have all these things. And it's, it's this fundamental big disruptor that COVID has been. Um, but 
is that then is the opportunity there to to think differently because as in management it's usually been we're focusing very much on the input not on the output do you think this is changing now because input is very often a number of hours um, clocking in and I don't know speaking in a meeting just to make sure that people remember you and now people don't meet anymore and they are working in different places so is management ready for this? Is management ready to kind of measure people on different? I think they have to be. Mm. Because you have companies that are shifting and then they are attracting the people. And I think this, uh, they, I actually see a lot of companies being ready. Okay, maybe you have some, let's say, manufacturing businesses, etc., mm. which are probably More not not, not on top of the of these type of companies, but I think, um, so um, I was thinking a lot about what you were saying and look, my personal take on the topic of leadership is that it's, it should be part of our education mm. from the beginning because you said, look, I learned from the hard moments and this is when I changed. Now, my challenge to you is maybe you needed these harder moments because there is just no systematic way through which we learn. Now, for me, leadership is not just about being a manager. For me, and I I, I, I like to, because I do talk about it with my kids, right? And my, my eldest son, he's 12. And at school, he gets grades in math, physics, right, etc. Now, um even though it's it's quite a good school, I like it. The, um, uh, the director of the school, she's sort of very forward-thinking, so they, they do a lot of project work, etc. Now, I would love if my son had um, on his, um, in Czech we say, vysvětšení, so mm. sort of this report with your grades at the end of the year, if besides having um, these subjects, he would also have collaboration, he would have communication, mm -hmm. you know, he would have um, his ability to manage emotions. And I think to me, these are all elements of leadership and it doesn't matter whether you end up as being a regular person who is contributing, maybe a specialist in a job or leading a small team or a big company. We all need that, right? Because mm -hmm. in in life, it's not just about whether your your expertise in terms of the field, but it's about how can you collaborate with people? How can you lead discussions when people don't agree? I had this discussion with my son because my son is introverted. He's very creative. So he likes to do things on his own because mm -hmm. he just doesn't want to discuss you know, ideas with others and he really likes his ideas. So he doesn't really feel like he wants to incorporate the ideas of others. Mm. Unless of course they are, um, they get him really excited and improve his ideas. Right. And, and I do have, I, I am having these discussions with him when I tell him, look, Toby, you know, like 50% of your work is your expertise, but the other 50% is how you are able to, to, to be with people, mm. how you are able to, collaborate and you know the fact that you want to do most of your projects on your own that's probably not super helpful for your career right mm. and um and so to me this is the essence of leadership and um and i personally believe that if we would teach kids 
if you would start with elementary school, with middle school, and there is a direction, but for me, it's still very it's mild. Slow, yeah, yeah. It's very mild. Mm. You know, I would be much more dramatic yeah. in the sense of, you know, it's great you can calculate, but it really, unless, you know, I, I am, I'm, I've been working uh, systematically with developing my son's emotional intelligence. Sometimes it's very challenging, right? Um, but, but I think, um, again, this is all possible. And I think, this is this is needed, and to me, um, to me, this is a big driver for what I do. Because I mean, we most of the programs are with top management, middle management. But when we had our ambition that we developed last year, that we want to positively impact one million people, and we decided to launch Atairo TV. The whole vision with Atairo TV is make leadership development accessible to um to you know not just all the people within organizations but actually also students etc because we believe this is a fundamental part of one's life and so you were that uh, uh, sorry Atairo TV is more geared towards a general audience more like it's not just company yes uh-huh yes and that that's going to be on the more more TV yes, platform. yes. We partnered. We partnered uh, uh, with Mall TV, mm. uh, uh, who is our technological partner. Mm. And uh, basically, the vision that we have is that we want to bring the latest knowledge or the latest trends in leadership um, and make them accessible through creating something like Netflix for. Um, leadership so mm-hmm. it's like having tv series um that are that are going to be on leadership development topics but we don't want to make too many of them because we believe that we are in the time where people are overloaded mm-hmm. with a lot of information and that it's better to have direction so so that's what we are starting um to do and we are basically getting uh sorry i was sneeze probably no. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's a sneeze. It's a sneeze-friendly song. It's okay. Okay. It it just went away. So um, anyhow, so so the way we want to do it is um, through leveraging technologies, through making it live, so that mm-hmm. it's actually not just something you are gonna watch on demand or um, the recorded session whenever you want, but you can actually join the live session. We want to have a lot of interaction with the people. We want to, um, uh, and and we really want to focus on creating these like edutainment movements of mm. creating educational content, but do it in a way which is also entertaining and fun. Okay, that sounds really good because you, you like, and I, and, and I mean, this kind of content is always good to draw attention also and and to get people engaged you know because you know yeah i think i think you need you need that extra step to get out there but and i'm what you were saying sorry about the also about the the schools i i totally agree with this because i felt feel like uh, i mean obviously i went to school in a century that is way behind us and and it was very archaic how how we studied but I always felt like, why didn't they teach me how to raise a family, how to be mm-hmm. in a relationship, how to communicate, how to manage my personal finances, and how mm-hmm. to be responsible, how to recycle, or you know why, and and these kind of things. And 
And instead, they taught me some algebra that I could probably use on the International Space Station or something, which I will never go to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's. And you see, to me, this is all part of leadership, right? Yeah. Because how do you manage your, your personal life, yeah. relationships? I. What's interesting, um, coming back from, um, from um, you know. Czech society here is that we tend to make investments in tangible things. Mm-hmm. Now I've uh, I've always my biggest investments in life have been in intangible things and mainly in education. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually think uh, besides uh, having my house, these are the biggest investments um, of my life. And also I invest in my children's education. And I always got the question like, wow, that's a lot of money. Why don't you buy a car or something? <laughs> But I I view that that through expanding my education, but in, in a different sense, right? I am a better mother. I am a better wife. Mm. I am um, a better, better friend, a better, yeah. friend uh, a better boss. And mm. I think to me, leadership is really part of that, of having a self-awareness and being able to deal and solve these kind of human um, or people-related things that you cannot just teach this is how you do that. But, you know, like I have three kids and every child is different and I just need to understand the psychology elements Mm -hmm. behind that so that I can adjust different things to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what helps a lot. So to me, that's the... That's the biggest thing, and that's why I believe that uh, you know leadership is not just about working with top management of organizations. It's really a basic element of education, and I think the more we go into the 21st century, I think the more this is going to be even mm. important. Mm. There's one one thing though that I like one topic that I wanted to discuss with you a little bit that that is that has to do with this because I think what what you're talking about now is basically in a way some sort of an open-mindedness and adaptability to to different needs different people and I think uh we are seeing a very well maybe it's because I'm old that I feel it's a big change but I I I feel a noticeable change in the last five to ten years if I look Uh, globally, I mean, especially on the let's say the Western Empire <laughs> countries, um, whereas maybe it's it's still different in 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 Asia, Africa, and, and 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 to the east of where we are, but the focus is very much on other things than you know, like we have uh, a lot of social issues. We have you know climate change uh, as a topic. We do have uh, diversity. Yeah, diversity. Mm-hmm. We have me too. I mean, there there is a lot of these kind of things that are going around and with it is also coming up a generation of employers and future mm-hmm. leaders and current leaders mm-hmm. that are different they they go for different things you know i i i, I started working in places where they screamed at me and mm-hmm. and that's how they mm-hmm. put into me some steel and I'm, i'm very happy about it but i know that i cannot scream at people today because they will just get alienated i mean, I, I read an article today where they were saying that putting up a, a punctum, how do you say, p- period in at the end of a sentence, 
is now considered very aggressive. I mean, this is at the far end of the spectrum. And there is a lot between screaming at someone and putting a, a period at the end of a sentence. How, how is a manager, let's say a 45-year-old person, how, how can they be ready for all this? Because now business is driven by so many different angles or influences. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, isn't this going to be... Because this is future ready. This is mm-hmm. how to be future ready, right? And it starts with the mindset. And that's part of the work we do, mm. right? Because you, like the company, the professional services firm I was telling you about, that's the issue they have. Mm. They have 45-year-old uh, uh-huh. managers that just, you know, think they are right. And then the new generations, uh, and sorry for my friends, then say, fuck off and I go. Yeah. Uh, right? And that's, um, uh, you know, that that's what's happening. And I think... The because we are in this time, and I'll come back to this research, right? That the the workforce, at least from what I see in within the next few years, we don't have uh, a quick quick fixes mm. of how to shift the situations. Mm. It, it it forces people to change and. Mm. Um, you said that there were tough moments that uh, through which you learned, and there are really two ways how people learn, right? One is through crisis, and that tends to be effective, but it also tends to be very painful. Mm. Uh, and the other one is through systematic work throughout. Mm. And I think we are seeing, and and you know, this is not about let's have one workshop per year and think I'm going to change. Of course, you are not going to change, right? But if you really start systematically learning and um, there's this whole new concept called learning organizations Mm. that um, it's not about how do you go to four workshops per day, but it's about in the same way you eat healthy, in the same way you go go to the gym or you exercise, that in the same way you're actually training your muscles, your mindset muscle, your openness, your you know, go outside of your comfort zone. And I think that's the future mm. that we are, we, we need to adopt. And one thing we see is that the technological advancement is very fast. And the only way is that we become, uh, we can actually go through the process where we learn and learn and relearn things very fast as human beings. Because the, the, the changes are coming and, you know, the, the quick answer to your other topics is for me, it's moving from this being right or having a judgment to actually think, oh, that's interesting. It's moving outside of our bubbles, right? Mm-hmm. But seeing, okay, that's interesting that this person thinks the way they think. Okay, let me explore that. Let me understand that. And I, I personally, having an autistic child, that's... Um, been very helpful for me in that process because autistic children are very different mm-hmm. and sometimes they might come across as you know that they are spoiled not well behaved but actually that they just work really different and one of the key things that they told us as parents is that you need to shift from frustration to actually being fascinated by that like that's interesting what like why why does my son do what what he does right 
what's what's happening there and and move from the judgment into acquire inquiry and it's not easy it's not easy because we have certain mindsets certain things but i think that's the future that we need to develop this flexibility muscle inside our brain as well mm. i'm just Laura, I'm, I'm, i i'm listening to you and 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 then it made me think because um I think personally, I think I'm a relatively open-minded person in in general, you know. Like, and and I have, I don't, I don't really care what path people choose or what 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 choices they make for themselves. But I I I do have a problem when it makes my opinion wrong, that I don't agree with something because you were saying that, okay, you maybe see an angle to something that. Is interesting and it's different than yours. Okay, I can explore it, but it doesn't mean that I necessarily have to agree with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of those uh, social topics that are now very much becoming an agenda and and uh, part of, let's say, policies and you know diversity policy and this policy and that policy. Um, I feel like um, it it's a landmine field. If I if I say the wrong thing now, which is still my opinion, and it's not necessarily putting an individual person down or saying that, um, yeah, you're awful because you're like that or or whatever. If if I just disagree, I'm wrong, and um, I feel it it creates it or it can it risk the risk is that it creates an environment where people actually don't dare to be honest anymore. That you hold back on opinions or ideas because you're afraid that you will insult someone or you will get cancelled for having said something wrong. Is this something you see? I'm thinking about what you are saying. I think about it a lot. Honestly... I don't. Mm. I the way I mean what I'm what I am when I'm working with people, right? And I mean I is I'm always saying from a leadership perspective, and that's the perspective I can offer here, is look at the trends, right? Look at the trends. There is definitely a trend of sustainability. There is mm. definitely a trend in diversity. And um and it's, I think it's important to observe these trends, especially I don't see any evidence of these trends going away, okay? So I always saying, look at, there is definitely a trend, so it's good to be aware of it. Now, in that context, the second thing I would do is, let's see how you can work, work with it in the organization in the way that's going to make it most constructive and most authentic, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, on the personal opinion and stuff, I don't know because I mean I I um I work much more in business related topics so I mean it doesn't that that's not that much of an issue you know we are always so when we are looking at it for example the sustainability thing I think look it's here it's not mm. going away mm. it's going to strengthen so the key thing is if you are leadership of an organization, how can you work with it that is authentic for your business, that is authentic for you? Because if it's not authentic, people under people, you know, that it's just not a good way of moving forward at mm-hmm. all. And then the same way as diversity, you know, how can you 
where where can it add value to you when it can add value to the culture you're building and how do you want to work with it so that's that's the way i i do work with it i i do see what you are saying i just think it's a very individual perspective i'm looking at it from a maybe different mm. perspective mm. i think it's important to have an environment where you know i do hear these comments of like white men will be discriminated you know it's the etc but then i would always come back to the things of saying okay what's the culture you're building at the company what's what's what are the signals you want to send rather than sort of dealing with individual comments or mm. uh and and for me it's about especially these diversity things what's the culture you're building mm. right and and what's the what do you want to build and why mm. and what does it imply to how you want to behave and how you want people to behave and feel mm. so that's what i would say yeah I, i i guess also the authenticity is a is a maybe a key thing and i f- i find a lot of like the global players they are very fast at adopting policies a lot of it i feel is for show you know it's not it's not necessarily mm-hmm. authentic it's just to say we have this you know yeah i and think authenticity is critical yeah um how is it to be like a high high profile woman in in business in in the czech republic is it easy hmm i'm thinking mm i don't think about it whether it's easy or difficult in the sense um i do think it so i i do think there are challenges um i think one and i'm i'm talking personally now right mm. i mean mm. i think for me definitely a, a personal challenge is this balancing element with the children but i i don't see it so for me the mindset is it's doable I think it's just then you have practical elements, right? That you have to, you, you do deal with. Mm. Um, and uh, and what it, I mean, I've always been very focused and I'm even more when it comes to my time and my priorities. So I'm, I'm saying a lot times no and maybe sometimes I'm doing unpopular things because uh, honestly, you know, like I have a date with my son uh, after this and, and it's the most important thing for me. Mm-hmm. So... Um so 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 I think that's the I think that's one part um if I think about it from a, from a women's perspective um and I think the so I think that's um it's definitely something I do think about or that is important to me I don't know whether I would say it's a challenge I do view it as a, you know when i'm saying you know or when i'm sort of sharing about that it's i, I view it as a more like an educational element mm. uh, of you know of, of of others or because i think the topic of um of diversity or at least gender diversity or, or has been important for me because i was dealing with it you mm-hmm. know as a self like at some point uh, when i had children and and when i was senior I, it started to sort of I had questions, you know, how, how do I balance it as as a mother? You know, how do other women do that? And mm. then I was hanging out with them, uh, sort of professional successful women because it, it, it did help me and I could talk about things that, you know, I couldn't with others. Um, and the other topic I was dealing with 
um, was this authenticity as as a woman, and but it was again not that much external. It was much more how do I want to behave that is authentic to me because I want to be female. I don't want to act as a mm. as a, as a man. But so how do I do that? Um, how do I do that? And how do I develop sort of um, effectiveness and decisiveness and other things while also, you know, ha- being in my female energy? So I think these were the sort of several things. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, I do get asked the questions, you know, how do I manage my kids and my, 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 you know, mm. my, my, but uh, no one would ask your husband. That. Exactly. I want to say, but no one has ever asked my husband, mm. even though I would say, I mean, maybe it's 60, 40, 60 to me, 40 to him, maybe 55, 45, mm. something like that. Yeah. I would say I have slightly a little bit more, but, uh, very balanced. Mm. Um, but no one asks him, right? So that's, that's an interesting part. And I think, um, Um, I, when I do see the trend of, uh, dads being more involved, I think it's super helpful even for the, for the women Mm. as such. I think that's the, that's the part. I I do think it has advantages as well, right? Because Mm. in a way, um, people talk a lot about the disadvantages, I think, or challenges, or however uh, you want to frame it, but I think there are advantages, right? I, I, you can, I totally agree. You can have a lot of influence through, mm. you know. Actually, I do work with a lot of boards that are male, and I think um, I can bring a completely different perspective. Um, exactly. Uh, uh, I can, um, you know, I, I, I get. I think the fact that I bring that perspective and, and I'm woman and I, I maybe not as competing in style it, it does bring value so um you know then people are supportive as well because there's you know not that many women or definitely not mm. that many female leaders as male leaders so I think they are you know there it's, are advantages it's, it's, as well. they are advantages and I think it's mm. important to, to do talk about them as um as well for mm. me I mean the key thing is um is role modeling because I think and that comes back to the things that influenced me and that I believe is that the moment I allowed myself to redefine what is possible for me and open my mind to that, it did change a lot of things. And I think one of the reasons I do things like that is because I believe that when people see that things are possible for other people, how they do it, what they do, it, it, it can positively influence people. Mm. And um, and that's super important to me because I think, um, you know, that can then change maybe the course of mm. their life. Mm. Yeah, maybe yeah, the courage someone they follows have. Your, yeah, someone follows in your footstep or, does, or gets inspired by your... I, actually, my lawyer, just a shout out to my lawyer, Jana Setlakova at Setlakova Legal. She just had her fourth kid. They're all under 10. And she runs a, a law firm in Bruno. And when I met her the first time, she told me that very often when she came somewhere to or to meet on opposite side in a, some sort of either a business transaction, she was asked, when is the real lawyer coming here? Mm-hmm. And uh, she is the real lawyer. And uh, I, I think I see her, she has been an inspiration to me, you know, because I, 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 I look at her with everything that she has on her plate and she still managed to build a business. I'm struggling with a dog, 
you know, I don't have kids, so <laughs> it's yeah, it can be a great inspiration to look at at people who are actually doing all these things and and um, they manage. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, what what's the reward for you? I mean, what's in it for you? I mean, because obviously this is not about money. This is not like you're not I, doing all this just no. to get paid. When I was at Harvard, I really sort of. I don't know if the word is find your purpose, but I defined this purpose. And for me, it's really reinventing education. Mm. Um, and and through actually, I'm, I'm bringing authentic and adaptive leadership into, into education. So that's why I do it. And mm. I, I know and that uh, even if you would give me a check for $1 billion or check crowns or whatever currency, you know, probably... I don't have uh, it, so uh, it would be of some very low-value currency. <laughs> but even if you would, mm. I wouldn't change what I do. Mm. Maybe I would tweak certain things, etc. But I would not change fundamentally what I do and why I do it. And I think that's, I think that's why I I feel I'm I'm meant to do this, mm. and it, it's a fantastically fulfilling and calm feeling inside because. I when people come and they give me different offers if I wouldn't want to try this and join that company or something it's actually interesting people come even more than in the past um it's I I would not change that mm. and I think once you have that clarity and certainty that what you are doing why you are doing and that it's the right thing it's just something um it's it's the most fulfilling thing I would say mm. yeah, it's very powerful also because you know exactly what you want to do mm-hmm. and you know exactly what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. This is also very valuable. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's coming up is that you guys are, are starting the Atairo TV um, and uh, uh, where can people follow you? So that's atairo.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'll put the links to the episode description so when wherever you're listening to this, guys, on Spotify or Apple or whatever, then the, in the description there will be all the links. Thank you very much. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think, what are you going to do on the date with your son now? Uh, we are going Christmas shopping. Oh, And nice. to Starbucks. He's 12, so he's... Um, he likes Starbucks. He likes Starbucks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we, we need to actually buy a few things um, that he he wants um, as a... To give presents to other people, etc. So we need to finish it before the mall closes. Yeah, uh, guys, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I think yeah, you just follow me on any social media. You can find the links to that also in the episode description. And uh, please share this if you know any cool people that I should meet or talk to. Then let me know. And uh, yeah, Raska, thanks a th- lot. Thanks a million for coming. Um, I know it. You, you were very busy and you have been very busy so I'm very grateful thanks a lot it was a pleasure um, to be here thank you and thank you everyone bye